We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody, the Pacers snapped their seven-game losing streak, taking down the Chicago Bulls 116-110. to 110. Unfortunately, Mike Focci not here to recap that game with me, but have no fear. We got a podcast coming out for you talking all things NBA. Yeah, we got Dan Valley from Bleacher Report going to be talking all NBA. We're going to be talking all-star game, and we're going to be doing our mid-season awards right now. So it's a little bit past the halfway point, but thought it'd be a great time to check in with Dan get his thoughts on things, and we talk a lot about the Indiana Pacers as well as some other teams and other players in the NBA, but spend a lot of time talking about the Pacers here, and then we're going to have our fan of the week on. So no Fachi today. The Rui Hachimura trade really upset him. That was one of his favorite players on the Wizards, so he had to recoup today, could not make the episode, but uh, we're going to take a quick break right here, and we're going to bring in Danfa Valley, but I just wanted to mention the Pacers picked up a big victory over the Chicago Bulls, snapping that seven-game Losing streak thanks to Benedict Matherin and Miles Turner's 26 points and TJ McConnell getting 20 points and 10 assists off the bench. So great stuff from the Pacers there. Super happy to see them get the victory. Now let's bring on Ampa Valley. This is Tyrese Halliburton and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, and I'm joined today. He works for Bleacher Report and has a great podcast, the Hardwood Knox Podcast. This is Dan Valley. Dan, thanks so much for joining, man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Alex? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm doing great, man. And you know, it's it's trade season heavy. And originally, I'd ask you to come on to kind of talk about that, but I thought let's let's pivot a little bit because there's been so much trade talk on this podcast with all the rumors surrounding Miles Turner and what could happen there with his extension. And then, of course, all the times that we've been mentioned by reports of players we're interested in. But today, I wanted to talk a little bit of midseason awards, uh, where we're at with that, All-NBA, and then, of course, the All-Star uh, roster. So uh, I guess we could start things off with the All-Star rosters after last night's news coming out. that They will be picking the players 
the the day of the game. So what are your thoughts on that? And uh, then we'll get into some all-star conversation. Yeah, that's just a that's a home run from my perspective. I'm interested to see like what the setup is. Like are we gonna the player is gonna be like, I'm assuming they'll be just um like by each other. So I I I'm all for if we could have seen that happen live, what happened the whole Kevin Rant and James Harden situation last year when LeBron was essentially daring KD to end up with James Harden on his team. Uh, I would have absolutely have loved to have just seen that in the moment on site with the players. And so I think this is a home run idea. I'm just very interested to see like what the the execution ends up being for it, though. Right. That's kind of my thinking. I'm 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 excited for the idea. Just not sure how it's going to all play out because I do love the TNT broadcast. You know, kind of helping guide that draft along as well with their input because those guys crack me up. But um, so right now it looks like based on the third re, uh, returns, it looks like LeBron James is leading the Western conference in votes. And I believe Giannis jumped Kevin Durant on the last returns. If that's uh, the fan votes, if I'm not mistaken. So it'll be interesting to see who gets in there, but um, we'll, we'll start things off here first with the Eastern conference. I'm just curious, who is your starting five for the Eastern all-stars? So my own personal starting five would be in the backcourt, Tyrese Halliburton and Donovan Mitchell, both who have been outstanding. And I think, you know, you can start to quibble over minutes played, but the voting essentially closed up before Tyrese Halliburton's injuries. And I think also it's kind of reinforced how valuable he is to the Pacers that they've sort of sucked without him. Uh, Mitchell was an easy inclusion, had to be there. And then the front court was obviously tough having Giannis, Tatum and Bede and, um, Kevin Durant, like you can only have, you know, three of those four start. Um, I went back and forth a lot and I don't feel great about this decision, but I think Giannis is probably the one that I would have coming off of the reserves. I just feel like he's been excellent defensively this year, but it just feels like you don't sense him or he doesn't leave as much of an offensive imprint in a good way um, as he typically does. And that might just be splitting hairs, but um, KD has been fantastic before his injuries, just otherworldly. Jason Tatum's been great at both ends of the floor as well. And the fact that he has counters to his jump shot not falling now is big. And Joel Embiid has just been absolutely dominant on the offensive end. And so I don't think you can necessarily go wrong picking three of those four, but that's just where I sort of landed for now. Right. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a tough call. I, I don't know who's going to end up being the last man out right now, based on the fan voting would be Joel Embiid as Giannis Katie and Jason Tatum are leading the votes, but that's only one side of it. So we'll have to see how the media votes and stuff like that and, and the players and the players vote. But you brought up Tyrese Halliburton as a starter there with Donovan Mitchell. And I think he probably was your fifth starter out of that group right there for, for who your starting five would be. Obviously, this is a Pacers podcast, so that makes us really excited to hear about Tyrese. But in terms of just like all-star voting, do you really like the backcourt, front court, or do you wish it was just the five best players from the conference get the ability to start? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just prefer it like straight out at like at this point. Also, if we're not going to do actual conference teams, I just want to see the, you know, pick the 24 best players in the league. And that's, mm. that's who makes the, the all-star game. And so it's, it's always preferential, especially this doesn't bug me as much because it's all, you know, it's an exhibition. And I do think at least you, there's some flexibility with backcourt versus frontcourt. Uh, I hate that all NBA still uses like positional designations. I think that that's just a, a swing and a miss by the league currently. Well, I, I definitely, and I think the way that it impacts contracts as well, that that's another thing that is just silly in my opinion. Like, it's just people's opinions on votes, and we know that we've seen the returns on some of these votes, and it's kind of an, embarrassing sometimes who these media people vote for. Now, not, not a lot of guys take it seriously on who they vote for, but there are some that you're just kind of like, 
who gave this person a vote? That's kind of an outlandish vote there. But so there we go. We got your starting five there for the Eastern Conference. So we're going Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant. I'm, Giannis is your first sub. So let's build out the rest of this. Who are the remaining players on your roster for the Eastern Conference? So looking at the splitting it into the actual positions, this was tough. Um, guard, I have Jalen Brown, assuming that he would be eligible there. And then I actually have James Harden as my guard, who's just been, I think, quietly spectacular this season when he's been healthy as both a passer and an efficient three-point shooter and not the same player, but can still just be really dominant and has done a good job of deferring to Joel Embiid for stretches. I also just can't bring myself to include someone like Kyrie Irving based off everything that has happened this season. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm sure most people would have him in there. And the three final front court spots, Giannis is one. Then I have Giannis Antetokounmpo and Bam Adebayo, who I think has been like verging on quietly dominant this season, like kind of having a career year. And I think he just receives too much flack because people don't like his shot selection. He doesn't shoot threes yet. He really can't be the number one option on an offensive team, but he is scoring efficiently again. And he's been, you know, a defensive monster for one of the best defensive teams in the league. The passing is still there. The versatility is still there. Um, the counting stats are all still there. And so I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten, even when you look at the other names that you can consider, I am surprised that he hasn't gotten more love. And then my wild cards, uh, I think this is going to piss off probably Knicks fans more than anybody, but I have DeMar DeRozan and Jimmy Butler. Um, Butler has been spectacular on really both ends, but the, the the level of defense that he continues to play at all these years later really con continues to astound me. And he's just so valuable as the driving force of an offense when he gets going downhill, ability to draw fouls, hit some difficult jumpers, but also just finish around the basket. And then DeMar DeRozan just, I mean, you talk about this steadying offensive explosive force and who can also um, orchestrate for your entire offense. People can still quibble over, well, does he take too many mid-rangers? I think he's someone who scores efficiently enough from there. It's okay. You want him to shoot a better clip on threes or take more threes in general. The defense isn't great. Um, but just from someone who has to be the maestro for everything that Chicago does and really just the the even-keeled nature and the reliability he brings you in crunch time where he is still um, unpredictable, has this clutch win probability added metric. He led it in the league last year by a wide mar margin, and he's doing it again this season. And that's why we know guys like Luca and De'Aaron Fox have been just lights out in those stretches uh, for even Shea Gilgis Alexander in those high leverage situations. And so Jalen Brunson, Julius Randall, two honorable mentions there for me, but I think mm -hmm. I just, at this point, um, if you're going to ask me to choose between those two plus bam, Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan, I'm going to go with the three I just named. Yeah. I mean, you can't really go wrong with that. Now, when you were saying your forwards, I might've misheard you, but I think you said Giannis twice. Uh, did you mean Pascal Siakam? Yeah, so I have Siakam, Giannis, and Bam as my focus. Gotcha, We're gotcha. front court guys, however you want to phrase that. Right. I mean, I figured I figured Pascal would make it. I mean, Pascal's having an amazing year. And, you know, he's just been he's just been really good, even though the Raptors have struggled this year, which has been kind of a a a downer because I really was expecting them to have a really good season after last year. And I don't know, they just don't really seem to to be clicking. And I'm not sure what's gonna happen with their roster. That's obviously a big question mark, but I, I really can't disagree with anything there. I think it's kind of slim pickings once you get to that wild card spot. And I don't know if this is how you feel, or maybe it's why you kind of like went towards it, but it does feel a lot like there's that respect factor of like guys that have previously been all-stars. And that's why I could see that happening. But um, Trey Young, I don't believe you mentioned him at all for your roster. Was there any reason why Trey Young wasn't a, a candidate for that? 
Yeah, he was bad for a good part of the year by his yeah. standards. Uh, he's starting to play a lot better now. And also, like, I don't, it, insofar as people factor in off court stuff, but just someone who is really seems to maybe be submarining the culture and camaraderie of that team. Like, there has to be some level of, um, like legitimacy to the reports that we've heard because we've just heard them so many times over again. And that coupled with his play and his, you know, stylistically, it hasn't changed that much. And is that a function of him or is that a function of the way Nate McMillan's coaching the roster? I don't know. It's probably a combination of the two, but he wasn't even like, I looked at guys, as I said, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, even Christos Porzingis for wild card spot, spots before I would have uh, added in Trey Young. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, Trey Young is obviously just a popular name. He's fifth in the, Fan voting right now, so uh, Lamelo Ball is also involved in that, as well as Derrick Rose and uh, Darius Garland. So, you know, Derrick Rose should not be anywhere near the All Star votes, but uh, he's got a big fan base, so that's that's good for him. But no love for a, a rookie Paolo Boncaro at all. No, I, I just don't think he's there yet. He's been spectacular yeah. in the runaway rookie of the year favorite, but I wouldn't put him uh, in like the All Star level yet. They have to beat out someone like a if we're talking wild card spots like a like a Jalen Brunson or a Julius Randle at this point like that's asking a lot of him mm-hmm. yeah no I and I agree I just I'm just going off names that were popular votes among the fans so let's move over now to the Western Conference the guards here where I think this can be a little bit interesting because there's a lot of good guards in the Western Conference specifically the top four on the fan votes but I'm curious who you have yeah so I wish that I could fudge with the positions and have Luca as a um like a a forward because I feel like that would make this exercise a lot easier. Um, But I have Luca at guard and I have Shea Gilgis Alexander at guard with my front court starting spots as LeBron, Larry Markin and Nikola Jokic. I mean, look, this isn't marketing has been great. LeBron has been great as well, but like you talk about a list that has been influenced by injuries, looking at how much time Zion has missed and how much time Anthony Davis has missed. Like those are two guys that seemed like shoe ins to, um, to make the the all-star roster and then trying to figure out whether to go with LeBron and marketing like Sabonis coming down to that last starting spot. Maybe he should be in there over marketing or LeBron. I think that's a fair discussion to have. Yeah. I mean, I I think marketing, I mean, he's having an amazing year and I have no problem with him getting the nod. I would say that maybe the, uh, the Sabonis love comes from the media because the Kings are in third place right now. I don't know if, if that's just, me thinking out loud correctly or incorrectly, but you know, it's just when you look at a, two different rosters, like you know, Sabonis is sharing the ball quite a bit, but he does kind of like he did with the Pacers, offense runs through him. And Markinen has been such a bright story, but he's been so good. And you know, the Jazz, they're not at the third seed, but they're still in the mix for the playoffs. So, and nobody expected that to happen. So, I just wonder if you think maybe that Sabonis might get more love from like player votes and media votes because of how well the Kings have played this year. Certainly from the media. And it's not that he doesn't even deserve it. Um, It's just when you look at Lowry, he's been so efficient. Like he's shooting like 60% or something ridiculous on twos this year. And there's something too, as you mentioned, the offense in Sacramento runs through Sabonis. And that's, that's big time. Like not every big, not every player can handle that. And like, he is very much just sort of the life force of what the Kings were able to do. At the same time, there's like a scalability to Lowry Markin where he's opened up all sorts of different lineup combinations for for Utah. And I think he's probably been better defensively just like last year than people expected. Sabonis has had his moment, moments, of course, too. Is I think he's been a better rim protector overall for the Kings this year, even though their defense hasn't been great than many people would have expected. 
uh, it's again, it's just really splitting hairs. And I thought Zabonis was going to be kind of a no brainer starting nod when the injuries to KD and Zion happened, but just the way LeBron has played basically since Anthony Davis went down, but also since he turned uh, 38 has been like out of this world. And then Jokic is obviously like that. That's just an inarguable spot for him. Yeah. I mean, those two, I feel like are total locks. It's just that final front court spot. I think it's up for debate, you know, for a while there, I was thinking Zion might make it. And then, like you said, once he went down, I was like, okay, uh, Sabonis. It's, it's marketing. I think for a lot of people, it's just so like weird to see him at playing like this level. And I think a lot of people aren't paying attention to Utah. So <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you're not really thinking about it. You, you know, you hear about it on the podcast, but you don't realize how efficient and terrific he's been. So I like it. I have no problem with that. I'm curious now, who are your reserves? So Steph, I have it as a, one of my two guard reserves and he probably would have had a case to start over Shea. If just, I mean, Shea has like 450 minutes on him right now. Mm, and that, yeah. that stuff kind of matters to me. Uh, John Morant is my other guard. Then for my front court, three front court spots, I have Anthony Davis, Sabonis, and Zion. Uh, it's, I don't want to say that, the front court well in the West is is super shallow, but it's shallow enough to where like the time Zion and Davis has missed just was, I didn't even think twice about ensuring they'd be on the all-star team. Mm -hmm. And then Sabonis, it wouldn't shock me if he's starting. Um, so like him, Market, and LeBron are all going to make it. And then my two wild card spots went to Damian Lillard, who I think if you really wanted to, you could say is like a toss up if you care about the wild card designation versus the actual guard between him and John Morant. And the final spot, definitely tough. I ended up just sort of defaulting to Paul George here. I oh, thought okay. about giving it to De'Aaron Fox. Could certainly deserve it. I even gave some consideration to, to Draymond Green here as well. I think Booker's probably missed too much time at this point for me to get him there. Um, but that was Booker was the toughest cut for me. Um, but I ended up just going with Paul George because you look at the uh, look, playing time is just going to be like a a tiebreaker for me and you have Paul George like at basically 1200 minutes versus Devin Booker at a thousand. There's a little bit of a, of a difference there, but those were certainly like the two hardest delineations to make. And I'm not sure how much I was caking in the fact that Devin Booker is going to continue to miss more time as we lead into the all-star break. Yeah. And that's a fair point. I mean, cause I was thinking, okay, Devin Booker's probably a wild card when I was listening to your list in my head and I'm kind of trying to predict what you're going to do. And then when you said it was Paul George, I was a little bit surprised. Now, if it wasn't Devin Booker, I thought it might be De'Aaron Fox as that wild card because I just love what De'Aaron Fox has done with the Kings. I think they've been fantastic this year. And, you know, it'd it just be kind of cool to see two Kings in the All-Star game. But for me personally, I agree with everything. I would have probably just changed Paul George to De'Aaron Fox and Dame Lord to Devin Booker uh, just because the Blazers have really, you know, I mean, I, I, I hate that I do that, but I do a lot of times look at records when I'm doing this, and I like to reward players that are on better teams and that is uh that is one thing that is very hard to do but i mean devin booker was so good before he went out it's just it's tough i i hate this for De'Aaron fox because i feel like he might not make it uh there could always be an injury replacement type of thing too especially if devin booker's not able to get back in time maybe you could they could use that as a caveat like oh well we'll select devin booker uh maybe mm -hmm. the coaches think that know that he's not gonna be able to play then they can get De'Aaron fox in there from adam silver's commissioner pick as a replacement but um you know, I think J.J. Redick brought this up on his podcast talking about, you know, there should be more than 12 guys available for the All-Star game. Now, mm -hmm. I personally kind of agree with that. I think it would be interesting to do 15 and 15. But what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like the league is deep enough with talent that I think you can definitely expand the rosters to mm -hmm. 15 and go up to 30 players without really diluting the honor. 
Yeah, and that's that's how I feel too. It's I mean I, I don't think players is it, is it built in players contracts where if they make the All Star game they get uh, it, it can be yeah uh, which I hate that too because it's so like silly in my opinion like that we're letting all this randomness affect how someone gets paid so. I think 15 does make some sense. I think it was a good point brought up by Reddick. You know, like there was only like whatever, like 10, 15 teams in the league at the time. So with that being said, I I think it's going to be an interesting battle here. And it's always interesting how coaches vote. Have you noticed a trend with how coaches usually vote? Um, They are not going to reward younger guys is just even how it sort of skews. It's always going to be, I feel like I don't want to say predictable, but guys with track records is how they're typically going to favor them. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. So that'll be interesting because a young guy like Tyrese Halliburton, he probably won't get the start, obviously, because he doesn't have the votes. But I'm curious how the uh, the coaches will vote. I think it should be a shoe in that he gets in, but um, I don't know. It's just there's a lot of veteran players in the in the Eastern Conference as well. Yeah, I mean, it's look, this is tough. It's like, even if we were expanding it to 30, like there's always going to be tough cuts to make. And a lot of times it comes down to a matter of preference and even just some of the playing time designations I make, they are really sort of arbitrary uh, when you think about them. Absolutely. So let's move over to the mid-season awards here. I've got the odds. I pulled them up from today and, you know, just kind of seeing where everything's at. Let's start with the big one here, the MVP. The odds are Nikola Jokic minus 145, Luka Doncic plus 400, Joel Embiid plus 900, Jason Tatum plus 900, Giannis plus 1,300, John Morant plus 3,000, and Kevin Durant plus 4,000. For you, who has been the MVP of the season so far? Yeah, so I actually do a bi-weekly MVP ladder for Bleacher Report, and there's been a lot of movement, but the past two or three weeks, Jokic has been there fairly comfortably for me at the top, and it's just, it feels like he's checking every single box where when you look at the first time he won, um, uh, a lot of people were wondering, like, oh, okay, well, like, how is his play going to translate to the playoffs, or um, is he only winning because the Denver Nuggets are elite enough? Look at the supporting cast he has. And then last year, the criticism was, uh, well, are we just you know giving him a boost because his supporting cast has been injured and and not that great? And then this year is just sort of a combination of everything. The bench is starting to play better when he's off the court, but it's been by and large terrible. The Nuggets are first in the Western Conference, and we now have just ironclad proof, regardless of where the Nuggets postseason ended, that Jokic can dominate in the playoffs. And so this is someone who had, who has answered every question, aside from maybe the biggest one of, can he be the best player on a title team? And just the answer to this point is no, because the Nuggets have not won a title. I just, what Luca has done in the face of a very lackluster, limited supporting cast is incredible as well. The usage he's been shouldering, his efficiency on step back threes, some of the things he's been doing in crunch time. Uh, but Jokic is really just continues to be at another level. And I feel like, not that people are sleeping on what he's doing, but there's going to be this tendency to discredit it because there's supposed to be voter fatigue. And it's interesting that the betting odds have shifted um, so much now. I think that's really a nod towards how airtight uh, Nikola Jokic has made his case, that it's even checking more of the conventional boxes where people care about narrative of best player on the best team. He's now entered that conversation. He's also, as of other candidates, benefited from just some some injuries, like Steph missing a ton of time. KD is now going to miss a ton of time. Even Giannis has missed some time. We've seen some pullback on the way that that he has played. And so I think that's ended up really you know, turning this into what I think probably winds up being a two-player race between him and Luka. But I think Tatum could probably, just with people who look at the best player on the best team material, that's still someone that I think will have a lot of MVP stock moving forward. 
Yeah, those are all excellent points. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, I just felt like maybe this is the year Joel Embiid gets it. And I think he was my preseason prediction. And, you know, every time I predicted, I always get a little bit nervous because I'm not sure if he's going to be able to hold up for the 82-game season and play that. And he's been lights out this year. There's no doubt about it. I think, like you said, Jason Tatum, he's been he's been lights out too. The best player on the best team in the NBA or the Eastern Conference. So, you know, it, it's it's great to see. But it, it's tough to sit here and say that Jokic has not had another MVP level of season. And like you said, the only thing I think that holds him back from probably winning this is if he gets hurt, which he never does, or voter fatigue. And I don't know. It seems like a lot of the media raves about him. I'm sure there's some that are kind of tired of talking about him, but the majority of people have not been able to stop talking about how terrific of a year he's had. So, you know, with like you said, Luca is playing lights out. His supporting cast is just subpar for sure. The the Mavericks have taken a big step back this year in terms of just overall talent, record-wise, stuff like that. But yeah, Jokic, I mean, what the what the Nuggets have done this year is just fantastic. And I think everybody was expecting them to, you know, once they're fully healthy, to be a legit contender in the Western Conference. You know, last year, I don't think anybody really believed in them as, you know, being able to go far. But Jokic had a great regular season. But once again, I mean, you said it best. I, you just can't say enough great things about Nikola Jokic. I think he has to be the favorite. And if he doesn't win, I understand why. I mean, there's a lot of great players in the NBA, but... I think that it'd be really hard to pick somebody else. Yeah. And I think, look, one of the ones that I think people sort of focus on is, well, how's it going to look if Jokic, you know, years from now, if Jokic joins Wilt, Bill Russell, and, um, my God, why am I playing? Larry Bird, I think. Larry Bird is the third player to win three consecutive MVPs. It's like, it's going to look just fine because Jokic is on track to be an all time talent. And so that, that's just another sort of, you need to come at, if you want to pick Luca or Tatum or even Embiid at this point, who I think has made a stronger case for himself after he's returned. Uh, okay. Make your case for them. But like, you can kind of miss me with some of the, uh, you know, approaches that have been used to try and discredit what Jokic is doing this season. No, you're, you're exactly right. So let's move over now to the NBA Ricky of the year odds. Paula Boncaro is the runaway favorite. Like you said earlier, minus 1000 Benedict Matherin plus 800 Jaden Ivy plus 3,500. Walker Kessler plus 6,600, and then Jalen Williams plus 10,000. So uh, that's Santa Clara, Jalen Williams on the Oklahoma City Thunder. But curious your thoughts here. Obviously, it feels like Paolo is the runaway candidate here. But um, just talk to me about why you think he is deserving of this award more than the other guys that are listed on here on the betting odds. I mean, he's just flashed like long stretches of dominance. He's been better defensively, I think, than people thought. His ability to create... Um, use his body physical tools when he gets inside blend this level of force and finesse with his scoring he's hinted at being able to hit some complicated jump shots both inside and and outside the arc you can see the flashes of passing from him already uh, this looks like someone who granted we haven't seen Chet Holmgren play this year because he's injured it, it looks like somebody who in hindsight how is he not the no-brainer number one pick overall although maybe he always was with the with you know the um, the chicanery that the Orlando Magic pulled leading up to the draft. Everyone thought they were going to pick Jabari, and then it pivoted to him all of a sudden. Yeah, and, and you know, I really I really have loved Paolo Boncaro from his days at Duke. I thought he should have been the number one overall pick. I was kind of surprised that the Magic were, were leaning Jabari Smith at that point. I just thought to myself, Paolo is just a better overall player, nothing against Jabari, but I just love guys that can be self-creators, and his passing ability is is through the roof. So, Benedict Matherin, okay, this is obviously a guy that won Rookie of the Month for October, November. 
had a terrific month and then December really had a shooting slump that was so bad um, from three-point land. I think he was like at 30% or below. So just hasn't really been able to do that, but he's still been pretty dominant as a bench scorer, averaging about 17 points a game. So talk to me a little bit about Benedict Matherin and the case he has and what it would take for him to maybe pass Paolo uh, for the rest of the season. I don't know if there's anything he could realistically do. Maybe he could curry favor if he goes on just like a month and a half long heater and his efficiency just goes through the roof. Uh, maybe even during this time while Tyrese Halliburton's out, like is he able to lead the Pacers now to like some surprise victories like they just had um, in, what was it, Chicago or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So against Chicago, um, I think that could help him. Then also if that sort of spurs the Pacers getting into the playoffs, I do think there are voters that look, oh, this rookie had an impact on a playoff team. And so I think that could probably help him more than anything else. And I do think he's already done a ton of service to himself because I don't think a lot of people expected his shot creation and shot making to translate this well right away to the NBA. And it, I mean, it, it clearly has, and it's why he's probably, you know, mentioned in the same breath as a lot of the top other six men of the year candidates. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me and what I've always said, when we talked about it on our podcast, I've just said that I feel like, Benedict Matherin only wins rookie of the year if somehow Paulo gets hurt and Benedict just plays the rest of the year. Like even if let's just say Paulo ends up getting an injury is out for the rest of the year. Do you still think he would get the vote? Ooh, that's a great question. I, would, I don't know like how many, I guess it really depend on like, what does the difference in minutes played? I think we're only about halfway through the season a little bit more. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about, let's see, they're so close in minutes played right now. Matherin has actually played more than Paolo already. If he's going to end up playing, like, yeah, I, I think if Paolo didn't play another game, um, there'd be a good chance for Benedict Matherin to, okay. to win it. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. It's just like, I'm not wishing that on him at all. I'm just saying, that's to me, like, you know, Paolo's starting, he's like a, like the focal point of the Magic right now, where Matherin's, you know, the focal point of the Pacers bench. <laughs> so it's totally... It's just, it's- Totally it's tough roles. to delineate where it's like, okay, Matherin has more total minutes played, but it's across more appearances, and that makes you remember that he is going up against a lot of different caliber of players when he's on the court. Like, yes, he sees a good amount of time from what I've seen with like Pacers featured lineups, but like a lot of his primary minutes are coming against what would be considered the opponents, like not their worst players, but it's not always their best players on the court. And so the quality of minutes or the the quality of opponent that's on the floor during your minutes i think that could creep into the discussion as well no and that's a great point i mean i was at the nuggets game when he ended up having like 20 some points in the second quarter and you know they had that second unit whoever was guarding him i forget who it was well all of a sudden you see them put aaron gordon in to guard him and i thought wow that's pretty big aaron gordon's probably the best defender on a perimeter defender anyway, on the uh, on the Denver Nuggets. And so they're throwing their best at him. And then Matherin just jab-stepped and shot a three right over him. And I was like, okay, it's not even it's not even going to bother Matherin at this point. But uh, speaking of Matherin and what other award he could win, that is the Sixth Man of the Year award. And so right now, it looks like Russell Westbrook is the favorite at minus 175. Malcolm Brogdon. You're like setting money on fire. Go ahead. And well, and see, that's what it is. I mean, I tweeted that out today. I'm just like – they know that there's a lot of Laker fans that are placing a lot of bets on this. A lot of Laker fans all over the world, uh, especially in America. But, you know, everybody loves the Lakers, and Russell Westbrook gets a ton of attention, good or bad. And so I think they're just, like, wanting people to bet on him because it does make some sense, and he's averaging pretty good numbers. But, 
you know, the guy that's number two to me makes the most sense for the six men of the year, and that's Malcolm Brogdon at plus 275. You got Norman Powell, Jordan Poole, Benedict Mathern, and Bobby Portis all in that conversation as well. Um, I don't think you think what Russell Westbrook's the uh, the six man of the year, but I'm curious who you think is. I would probably lean towards Malcolm Brogdon at this point, but I do think you mentioned, I think all the names that deserve primary consideration for it. Um, I will say that uh, I don't know if Norman Powell was on that list that you gave, but he's yeah, really he was number on. three. Yeah. And then the other one that was definitely not on that list. And I've just been shocked that he is not on more lists is Malik Monk. Who's been great mm. in Sacramento. His, you know, he's shot better on threes in the past, but the damage he's doing inside the arc is both a scorer and a passer. Uh, his two man game with Sabonis is just works really well. And we see time. The fact that he's playing a lot with Sabonis shows you that he's, he's playing like a ton of important minutes. His scoring numbers aren't quite up to when you go back and look at, traditional six man of the year winners, like they're most of the time going to score more than 15 points a game. And so that's where he's going to fail to meet the criteria. Um, but that also could mean that Malcolm Brogdon might miss that criteria. Then I think last time I checked, he was under 15 points per game. So someone like a Norman Powell, even a Benedict Matherin could benefit from that definition of it. This race though, I know a lot of people have gravitated when you look at um, like the, the picks articles towards Malcolm Brogdon. It, this race feels more open than it being that close to a consensus though, to me. Yeah, and if I if I recall right, the media survey had Jordan Poole as the favorite for this one. He was like the runaway favorite at the beginning of the year, yeah. but he has been like I like I don't want to say he's been terrible, but he has been up and down, and there's been a hell of a lot of down. Yeah, and that's kind of how I thought him. And I mean, that was just recently that media uh, survey oh, that wow. came out. When was that? Like a month ago or about three or four weeks ago? There was a media survey that came out. And it was like who would be the next best head coach? It's like Chris Paul, Tyrese Halliburton. It was like. Random stuff that they were asking a bunch of media representatives from each team. And I think Dustin Deporek from the Indy Star was the uh, the representative for the Pacers that was involved in this. And he came on our podcast, and I don't know who he voted for. I forget on six man, but Jordan Poole was the the runaway for that as well. And I'm just like, really? So I feel like this one's more up, up for grabs. I'm not sure what it would take for Matherin to get it. I personally feel like because he's a rookie, it might be uh, something that holds him back from getting it. But for sure, he has been so good off the bench this year. It's kind of hard to just turn turn the eye and say, well, he's a rookie, but he's still averaging 17 points a game. And he's been closing lineups a lot with the Pacers, uh, you know, best five, too. So you kind of have to wonder, does that play a factor? I think it will. And also if the Pacers end up being like one of the top six teams in the conference, like a lot of the times, and I didn't check this, but it feels like the six man of the year comes from not just microwave scores, but microwave scores from really good, like solid playoff teams. And mm-hmm. so that's why you could see Malcolm Brogdon for sure. Norman. Well, I guess the Clippers have been all over the place, but maybe a Norman Powell sneaking in there and why I think also Malik Monk might deserve a little bit more credit than he's been getting in this discussion. Yeah. that's a great point on Monk because I mean, I've looked at some of the box scores of the Kings games recently and he hasn't been shooting particularly well, but I think he's kind of the engine for that second unit. I mean, for, for their, for that Sacramento Kings team and they've been so good, but Let's move on now to the defensive player of the year odds. Jaron Jackson is the favorite at minus 210. Brooke Lopez, Nick Claxton, Bam Adebayo, and Giannis Antetokounmpo are the ones that are following that. Who is your defensive player of the year? Mine is Giannis. I think a lot of people feel like they're trying to course correct from last year when uh, they voted for Marcus Smart and like they watched the playoffs and they kind of realized like how limited certain perimeter defenders can be in matchups. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that perimeter defenders can't win defensive player of the year or that non-bigs in general can't. Brook Lopez is incredibly valuable. Um, and he is like, you know, he he's like the best rim protector in the game right now. 
Giannis just does so much more. He's one of the best rim protectors in the game. In addition to being able to really just bust up possessions away from the ball, he can really take on some difficult one-on-one assignments, even though that's not necessarily how the Bucks use him or how he's best used. And Jaron Jackson Jr. has been great. But like we have not, we've seen two defensive player of the year award winners average under 27 minutes per game in NBA history. And the fact that he does foul a lot, which has probably curtailed his playing time, even though some of it is probably he came back from injury. Also, there's been a lot of games where Memphis is just trucking opponents, especially not so much lately, but earlier on. He's been maybe the most impactful defender per minute, but like sample size has got to matter here. And so I might even be more inclined to go with a Bam Adebayo. Um, and a Giannis before I would go towards um, Jaron Jackson Jr. Maybe that changes, though, because there is still a couple months of the season left to play. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Giannis is so good defensively. It's He is just a nightmare, and he's so long, and he can do so many things. And like you said, it, the Bucks really do have the advantage of going smaller because they can pull Brook Lopez out and put Giannis out there, but then they can go super big and play them together. And then you got Drew Holiday out there, who's one of the best perimeter guards, uh, defensive guards in the league. So, you know, that Bucks team is really defensive-minded, and, I, and you know, I think Giannis probably, I don't know if it's voter fatigue or what it is, but it feels like, you know, he's always in the conversation but does, hasn't won the award recently. So uh, Bam Adebayo is another name that I feel like has always been in the, in the mix for this award too, just hasn't got a chance to, you know, take home the honors. But another name that was brought up in here is Nick Claxton, and I've been seeing a lot about Nick Claxton in the year that he's had. What are your thoughts on Nick Claxton? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, I don't, defensive player of the year seems like a stretch. He might have an all-defense case because they don't, <laughs> they don't care about possess, uh, positions in that context, but... It's tough. I mean, the Nets are a lot better defensively than you would expect. I think a lot of that's the Royce O'Neal's been better than anticipated. Ditto for Nick Claxton. Ben Simmons is sort of, come on, KD was great defensively before he got injured. Um, I just, defensive player of the year is tough. He's had a fantastic year at both ends of the floor. Uh, but also, just like, his minutes aren't really what, where you would expect a defensive player of the year to be. And that has to go into, like, well, can you have him on the floor? One, they don't like to play him and Ben Simmons a ton, even though those minutes have gotten better. And then two, he's a free throw shooting liability himself. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think Nick Claxton just being in the conversation is the honor that he deserves. Uh, but I don't think he's anywhere near the defensive player of the year, even though he has been impactful. Um, most improved player odds. Um, the favorite here is Laurie Markkinen, minus 145. Following that is Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, and Alperin Sengun. 
I know you put Lori Markin in your starting five, so if he's your uh, most improved player of the year, I have no doubts uh, that that's a great pick, but I'm curious if it's maybe Lori or somebody else. I have Shea, actually. Okay. I think the hardest leap in the league to make is from entrenched star to full-blown superstar. And Shea Gilch-Alexander went from, it's tough because of how the Thunder shut him down the past two years, something like the 25th to 30th best player in the league to the 10th. At this point, like you get into an all NBA discussion and he might have a first team case, depending on how many minutes some of these guys end up playing. Um, you look at, he's doing a lot of the same stuff he's always done, but it's just at a higher level. Um, Luka Doncic is the only high volume player who scores more of his baskets um, without getting assists on them. We've seen him really ramp up the defense. I think this, the Thunder do a good job of insulating him um, against really tough assignments, but away from the ball and even on the ball this year, going around screens, there's been a ton more effort there. Some of those chase down blocks we've seen from him as well. Um, and then to be the driving force of an offense that when you're on the court is above league average, despite the fact that, yeah, Josh Giddy shooting the ball better and Lou Dort shooting the ball better. And you have some intriguing um, players. The spacing is not good in OKC. <laughs> like even when Isaiah Joe is on the court, like it's not good in OKC and he's still being able to, to drag that offense to respectability is one of the larger feats happening, individual feats happening in the league this season. So um, I get why people might be gravitated towards something like newer and shiny, like Lowry marketing going from just impactful player with the Cavs to all-star, but going from star to top to superstar to top 10 player to it's fringe all-star to all NBA lock. Um, that is the harder leap to make to me. Great, great points. And to be honest with you, Shea has been so good. Like, I, w I haven't really watched a lot of OKC Thunder basketball, but I watched last week when they played the Pacers, and the Pacers got down like 17 to 1. And the Pacers ended up getting blown out that game. Obviously, no Halliburton, but Shea was like a plus 38 in that game. And they, he didn't even play but like 20 plus minutes. And then I watched the game they played against the Kings. And I think they ended up losing that game, but it was very close. Isaiah Joe, like, was hitting some big threes at the end to make it a closer game than it probably should have been. But, you know, he was just doing all kinds of crazy things there as well. So I think SGA is a terrific pick for this. To me, there are so many good players that have improved this year. Um, I personally, you know, watching Halliburton all the time, like, you can tell how much he's grown as a player. He's going to probably be an all-star. And I think that, you know, even if Halliburton doesn't win this award, he was a favorite at the beginning of the season. Uh, Markinen came out of nowhere. And, you know, I think my preseason pick was Anthony Edwards as a jump kind of guy. For, oh, that's for a good one, one, yeah. And, you know, personally, I think Anthony Edwards probably should be on the betting odds list over Alper and Shingun, but I know Shingun's been okay, but, like, the Rockets are just so bad. It's it's kind of hard to put a Rocket player on there, in my opinion. But, you know, this is just a really good group. Jalen Brunson taking a big leap from, you know, what he did in Dallas and New York. But, uh, it, like you said, it is so hard to – make a case against Shea because of that huge leap that he's taken from just a guy that was on a lottery level team to a guy that's, you know, averaging 30 points a game and doesn't even shoot the three ball at all. Like he's driving most of the time for his baskets. And so that, that is huge to me. And he's a great defender as well. I mean, really you think back and look at that trade that the Thunder made to acquire him in the Paul George trade. I mean, everybody loved the picks, but the best thing they might get out of that entire deal is Shea Gilgis Alexander. And, and those picks, while they could be really good players, uh, they, they're not going to ever equal to the amount of what Shea is going to mean to that franchise, in my opinion. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, unless the Clippers win a title, that's going to be just a trade that's relitigated ad nauseum, and it's hard to fault people for doing that. And mm. also, just what you said, like, there are other, like, if someone picked Larry Markin or even Tyrese Halliburton at this point, what makes it tough with Tyrese Halliburton is, like, he's basically just been an extension of how he closed the season. I think he's been even better um, as, a like, a shot maker and decision maker. So there's definitely that level up, but I'm wondering if that ends up hurting him in the long run. I think regardless just the leap that we've seen Shea make is just the hardest one to do. But you could also make the case that, well, we've seen him be like ridiculously good, especially, especially in 2020, 2021 when the efficiency was there um, while with the self-sustaining offense. I, I totally understand that too. It feels like there are probably like three really good options for this, but to me, it, it just feels like Shea's leap is a cut above the ones we're seeing from some other guys. Yeah, totally fair. And, you know, as much as I want Halliburton to win it from a Pacer standpoint, you know, have no problem if he doesn't. I, I think if he gets the recognition for the All-Star game and, you know, as a finalist, I think that's that's great as well. But last one here, Coach of the Year. Uh, the odds are Joe Missoula, Willie Green, Taylor Jenkins, Jacques Vaughn, and Will Hardy. Who would you give your Coach of the Year to right now? Oh, man. Um, I think I would probably lean towards Will Hardy. Yeah. I'm just like, the Jazz have just come out of nowhere to have that. They had good players on the team. But I don't think anyone thought that they would sort of merge into this product of coherence where they have a top five offense. They're in the playoff hunt. And I think it might hurt him that it does seem like they're going to be sellers of the deadline. But to get buy-in from guys like Jordan Clarkson in a contract year, uh, Mike Conley being on a team that looked like it was rebuilding when um, you know he's in his twilight years even having a guy like colin sexton come in and you you're sort of limiting his role as a six man another guy who could be a good six man of the year candidate by the way oh, yeah. um you've sort of lower volumed his role when you look at his minutes but getting buy-in from him i know he's already been paid so that might be a little bit easier what you've done with lowry marketing no he's not hitting the same from scratch shots that we're seeing from tyrese halliburton from shea gillis alexander but he's in the most improved player conversation for a reason because there's a scalability to his offense and he can work in so many different ways. Um, what you've been able to do with just sort of your front court rotation and exploring Walker Kessler, uh, the jazz have, they've come out of nowhere. I think in part that's because everyone expected them to already blow up the roster, like before the season even started. And so there's some like, or to sell the roster since they'd already blown it up. So maybe that needs to be caked in, but like the jazz play hard and they've like, this is even a team. When you look at the players, being of a certain quality, they, they don't necessarily look like they're supposed to fit. Like, they're just not really wings on this <laughs> roster. There's a lot of guards and then, like, some forwards and then like, a couple straggler bigs, and they've made it work. And so there's there's real defensive concerns. They don't have the personnel to defend at a high level, though. And so uh, Coach of the Year, I think, probably, I, I look at it from, like, someone who's exceeded expectations, um, like, in a, a way that we just didn't see coming. And he's that guy. I guess it's tough to... um view that when you're a rookie head coach and it's like right we haven't really seen this before from you and i do think there's still you know th there are other guys i think specifically veterans that could maybe work their way into this like mark dagnalt um who's been on the sidelines now for a couple of years in, in okc i also like wouldn't discount depending on how memphis or denver finish the season like michael malone and um taylor jenkins uh, even just like the Pelicans have been up and down, but like all the injuries, if they're able to come out the other side of this and still be like a third seed or something in, in the West, uh, you have uh, Willie Green there. And then Mike Brown in Sacramento too. Like that's yeah. really a tough one. I think he might be my number two at this point, to be yeah. honest. Um, but looking between like Dagnalt and Brown and uh, Will Hardy, like those are really uh, like, I guess the primary ones of, of focus for me right now.
Yeah, I was going to say, I think Mike Brown's probably my coach of the year right now, just because of how he's completely came in and just brought a lot of that Golden Golden State culture to Sacramento. The fact that they're the third seed in the Western Conference, like I thought they'll probably make the play in this year. That was kind of my my thinking when I was looking at the Western Conference. I'm like, yeah, I'll give them like the ninth or tenth seed. Like, good young team. Don't think they're there yet, but I, I just talent wise, they've really just exceeded expectations. And, you know, you talked a lot about like what Will Hardy's doing with this roster that nobody expected to be good and maybe to make some big trades. And, you know, I, I was kind of wondering, you know, where does Rick Carlisle fall on that? Because I feel like Rick Carlisle has done a terrific job with this Pacers team that he's playing four guards and Miles Turner in a starting lineup and, <laughs> and they're winning a lot of games. And it's just like he's just doing some interesting things. Like, I don't think very many coaches would have brought their six overall pick off the bench like Benedict Matherin and not start him, but go ahead and start, you know, another rookie like Andrew Nimhart. Like I just feel like Carlisle's innovation uh, to really get this roster to where it's at and find the right combinations has been very impressive as well. Yeah. The, I mean, it's something you've been done with Nimhart defensively. It's just like some outside the box stuff that I don't know that I necessarily like ever would have ticketed Rick Carlisle for. So he's another one that I think is probably difficult to make, too much of a case because of how much it's very clear that like the Pacers like it's it it's mostly Tyrese Halliburton. I know it's mostly always the players, but when you look at some of these other coaching jobs, um, I think you can make a case that there's more been done with less, um, because of how good Tyrese Halliburton has been, and even how good uh, Miles Turner has been when he's healthy this year. And I don't know how much that needs to to factor into this. Um, and then I also don't know if this is me being guilty of it, but other people as well, like being attracted to something new and shiny where how many of the guys we just mentioned are either first time head coaches or relatively new, if not outright new to their, to their situation, including a Jacques Vaughn in Brooklyn. Yeah. Who's been there, but now all of a sudden he's elevated to head coach after taking over a dumpster fire, Joe Missoula being elevated to interim head coach in, in Boston. And so I'm wondering if, the, the expectations are lower to begin with when you're talking about someone with less of a track record than Rick Carlisle. Even if you think that the Pacers roster was either itching for a blow up at the start of the season or just not as good as some of the other teams that we've watched. Yeah, no, for sure. So let's let's kind of wrap this up here now quickly doing your all NBA team. So just hit me with your first team and then we'll just go quickly to your second and your third after. So my first team is Luca and Shea at guard. Uh, I have Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum as my forwards, and then Nikola Jokic as my center. Okay, so you're not worried about games played at all for Kevin Durant? As I'm just doing this as of right now. I wouldn't gotcha, make this gotcha. predictive. If I had to pick, it's Giannis is probably going to end up there uh, okay. based off games played. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, let's do the second team. So I have Steph, who could very easily be first team, depending on where he ends up games played. Donovan Mitchell and my forwards are LeBron and Giannis right now with Embiid at center. And that's a that's a pretty stacked second team there. Uh, I mean, it's it's been such a crazy year. There's so many good players, and I think there's going to be quite a few guys that are snubbed off the All NBA teams, and that's what makes it really exciting that there's so many good players in the league. But I'm, I'm curious now, your third team, who is all on that? It's funny. So I did fill this out before we got started, and I'm still looking at two blank forward spots on the third team because it's so hard of a choice when you're considering guys who have missed games. Am I going to be able to shoehorn some bonus in there because the NBA does like all these weird things with eligibility. Um, I think as of right now, I'm going with Pascal Siakam and Zion Williamson. And there's like, I just, the level of dominance from Zion Williamson's minutes when he's played, if he continues to miss time, I think that opens the door for, and I'm, I don't know if Bam's going to be eligible there. Like that's the caveat. 
would it open the door for Lowry marketing? Yes, certainly. Would it open the door for Jimmy Butler? Certainly. Um, so, but those are my forwards right now. That was tough. I have Anthony Davis as my center, which actually felt really good about, even though he's missed a, a ton of time. Um, Rudy Gobert sort of falling off a cliff, I think has helped a ton. Um, and I don't know that like maybe Sabonis, if you want to go off minutes played right now is someone that you should put in there. That seems like it's going to be AD's biggest competition though. And then my guards are, this was tough. I went with Tyrese Halliburton and John Morant with my toughest cut, probably being Booker or, um, even, uh, oh my God, Damian Lillard. So yeah, like those Dave. are the two that were tough to, to leave off. And even just like guard for third team. Like I think the four guards on first and second team are locked. I think it's going to be Luca Shea, Donovan Mitchell, Steph in that order, unless somebody gets injured again. Um, when you look at the options that they're going to be for the third team guards, just in Tyrese and Ja, Damian Lillard, James Harden coming on Jalen Brown. If he's eligible at guard, there are just options here for days. And I think that even Kyrie Irving is going to definitely yeah. sneak his way into that discussion as well. Yeah. I was about to say, even though a lot of people myself included are kind of over Kyrie Irving and what he's done <laughs> the last couple of years, I, I think that he still will have voters because he's just a popular guy and people. I will say the, the nets being not so good when he's running the show without KD probably hurts his case would be my guess, but yeah. we'll have to see how. Yeah. No, that that's a fair point. I, I I agree with that as well. I mean, it's he's a totally different guy than he was when he was with the Cavs. Uh, you know, you kind of started to see the change in him in, in Boston a little bit, but it's just he's just a weird guy on and off the court. But he's been he's been pretty good when Ky, uh, when when Kevin Durant's been there. But yeah, I just think Tyrese Halliburton leading the league in assists and what he's done with this Pacers team and the jump he's made, it does make some sense why he should be in that All NBA voting. And it's like. The fact that, you know, you can make the case that he's been a top six guard this year, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, looking in the Eastern Conference, like uh, if you're looking at actual point guards, I've tried to say this without, you know, rose-colored glasses on, but you can make the case that he's the best point guard in the Eastern Conference. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that – I'm trying to think, like, I guess if you consider James Harden a point guard at this point, mm -hmm. uh, Donovan Mitchell's played too much two guard to be in that discussion. So, yeah, there's certainly a case to be made that uh, – I don't even know. I'm trying to think if I don't want to call it be too spicy and say it's like an uncontested case at this point, but uh, it's a it's a very, very, very strong case. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, Trey Young, like there's stuff. And Trey Young in a normal year should be there, but he's not right. there this season. And so you start to run out of options really quickly after that. Uh, Darius Garland in a normal, like he's been good this year, but not on the level of Tyrese Halliburton. And also there's the cannibalization of some of the consideration for these players where it's you look at you know Darius Garland seeing his volume and responsibility changing a little bit with Donovan Mitchell there ditto for James Harden with things running through Joel Embiid like Tyrese Halliburton is just the caps lock guy right and I think Cade Cunningham going down at the injury early on in the season like he's always a guy that I think well, he's the number one overall pick uh I know he's like a he's kind of like a bigger point guard but he's still a point guard and you have to wonder like how impactful would he be I don't know if he's there yet but yeah, it, it, honestly, there's so many, there's good point guards, but I would just say Halliburton, just so cerebral. It, it's hard to like, it's hard to think about other guards and like, this is his only in his third year too. So projecting wise, like he's only going to get better. And I think he's really found a home here in Indiana and and him and Carlisle have just been a perfect, uh, perfect match for one another. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually impressed with Carlisle, how freewheeling he lets like this version of Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers at full strength play and like i don't watch the pacers 
closely enough. Like even when I have watched the Pacers, I promise you, like I'm not looking to see like what Carlisle's saying from the sidelines on these set plays, but it feels like he has just been eminently comfortable, like giving Tyrese Halliburton like absolute agency. And that's just something I think at least nationally people were worried about long-term headed into this year. You can definitely tell Carlisle has changed a lot from who he was in Dallas with this Pacers team. And it's, it's kind of interesting because nobody expected them to go into this kind of rebuild that they went into. And then he's kind of sped that rebuild up because he's been able to, you know, find the right combinations and, 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 you know, just empower this team to be better than they should be on paper. But Dan, this was a lot of fun. There's a lot of things we talked about here, a lot of good NBA content here, and it's good to see and hear uh, your thoughts on that. And here's some Pacers mentioned in this conversations, but where can the people find you out on social media and please plug anything that you have that uh, you put out recently. Yeah, they can find me at Dan Favale on Twitter, F-A-V-A-L-E. That's where I'll publish all my work from Bleach Report. I have, I'm working on, it's going to consume like too many hours of my life um, through Monday, but there's going to be a huge trade deadline cheat sheet for every single team that will go live. Um, So that'll be packed with goodies on Bleach Report. And then also, if you have not done so and you're curious to hear more um, sub-mediocre basketball talk about the entire (laughs) NBA, I would implore your listeners to check out Hardwood Knox, spelled exactly as it sounds, and we're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcast. Don't undersell yourself. You're 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 a good basketball uh, mind. I, I like talking basketball with you, Dan. So don't don't undersell yourself there, everybody. Go subscribe to the Hardwood Knox podcast. It'll be great stuff, especially as the trade deadline approaches. It's going to have plenty of great content over there. But Dan, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to do it again soon. Most definitely. Thanks for having me. As always, Alex. Take care. Absolutely. All right. Joining us now on Setting the Pace for our fan of the week, it's Michael Olivier. Man, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. And Fachi's not here to be with us for the fan of the week segment, but I appreciate you filling in and uh, being the representative for our fan of the week. How you doing? I'm great. Um, I'm in Indiana for the week, so it's been pretty exciting stuff and just trying to enjoy it as best as I can. I got you. So you're not from Indiana originally? I am actually from Boston, believe it or not. Okay, so why are you a Pacer fan then? Okay, so when I was like in like 2009, 2010, my dad and I were big Fresno State fans and we were watching Paul George, of course. <laughs> and um, being a child, I was like, whatever team Paul George gets drafted to, that's going to be my favorite team. And since then, I've been a loyal Pacers fan. That's that's pretty interesting. I'm curious. From Boston, why Fresno State? Okay, so I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Heron. Okay, I've heard the name, yeah. Yeah, he's a Massachusetts native, which he went to school with my dad a few years before him, and they were on the same basketball team. So we, we've been watching Fresno State for a long time. I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay, so that makes some sense. So Paul George, obviously he leaves the Pacers. Kind of does him dirty a little bit, let's be honest. Says that he wants to win a championship and then asks for a trade. So... What were your thoughts when that happened? Did you think about turning in your Pacers fan card at that point or what happened? I never, never, I I have it in writing. I will, I will never switch up on my Pacers. I have always said that no matter what happens, how good or how bad we are, I will always ride with the blue collar gold swagger. And yeah, that's how it is. But you still rock with Paul George, right? You're still the Pacers fan. Okay. That's my favorite player, believe it or not. So I'm still supporting him. So he's your favorite pacer of all time too, then? Yes. Yes, he is. Okay. And that and that's that's totally fine because I think Paul George got a lot of fans that are currently pacer fans into this Indiana Pacers team because they were so good with him. And they desperately need somebody like him right now on the roster. I think he could really help this team 
you know, get back to that top Eastern Conference team because he is so, so good, even though the Clippers have been underwhelming, I would say, for what everyone is expecting. But, you know, is that your Western Conference team then, the Clippers? So the way that I explain it is if the Pacers are not active or just like not playing, I will root for the Clippers. So like playoffs, the last few years I was riding with the Clippers. But besides that, I only have one team, and that is the Indiana Pacers. I got you. So you pretty much rock with the Pacers and then wherever Paul George is at, you're hoping that his team does well. That makes sense. I mean, a lot of people are like that. A lot of people are fans of players. I'm I'm kind of the same way. You know, there's players I like across the league. It's just like, you know, it's hard not to. I'm a big Sabonis guy. Obviously, everybody knows that. So the Kings are kind of like my second team right now just because I, I want to see them do well. But let's talk about this year's Pacers team. Who has been the most impressive player to you so far? Not the best, but the most impressive. Okay. I don't want to be basic, so I'm not going to say Benny. So <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Nemby. I think Andrew okay. Nembhard has been incredible. He, just like the way that he's came into the league as a veteran, playing four years in college, three, four years, however long he played, he just brought that veteran leadership, believe it or not, to this young team. And it's really helped him as a player. And it's I'm sure it's helped the locker room as well. Yeah, you can just tell that his experience in college has translated. He's just a very... Smart player. I think he's uh, very cerebral, very similar to Tyrese Halliburton. But, you know, he's obviously sick. He's going to miss tonight's game against the Magic when we're recording this. And he missed the game Tuesday against the Bulls. So hoping he gets better. And, you know, you said it was a basic answer, but Benedict Matherin has been fantastic this year. Really surprising. I don't think anybody expected number one for him to be coming off the bench to start the year and pretty much stay there all year. He started about a handful of games, but averaging 17 points a game. Talk to me about what you love about Benedict Matherin. I just love the way that he approaches the game, just the way that he instantly, this is the first thing that I always think about. The first time he checks in, the first possession, he attacks a 7-3 center, Chris Tapps Porzingis, off the glass, a smooth floater, and that just explains his whole play style. He just keeps coming at you, and he won't quit, kind of like this Pacers team. Yeah, that game, that go-ahead three that he had against the Bulls was just awesome. I mean, he has really been struggling from outside, and he just shot it with so much confidence, and he just nailed it. He doesn't really care. He doesn't let things bother him in terms of you know his shooting slump. Now, he did talk about it on the J.J. Redick podcast that he had been driving a little bit more because the shot wasn't falling, but still was putting up shots. Like It's not like he wasn't not shooting the basketball, but you know he's a shooter. I'm excited to continue to see him grow as a player. But um, this Pacers team, 24 and 25, I believe, right now, record-wise before the Magic game. We're recording this, like I said. So where do you think they end up at the end of the year? So I have been a supporter of pushing for the playoffs the whole year. Um, I did not expect us to go on a huge seven-game losing streak <laughs> when we lost Tyrese, but I think that this team is still a playoff team. And with how TJ McConnell has played, if we get Tyrese back and TJ still plays with that same energy and just like he's just been probably our best player down this like last nine game stretch or however long it's been, it's honestly been so impressive. Yeah. I mean, TJ McConnell has been fantastic. And I think a lot of people were ready to write him off early on in the season. Nimhard was playing so well when Tyrese was out, everybody was ready to just pass the backup second unit to Nimhard and just push McConnell aside. But McConnell's reminding people why, you know, he is where he is and why the coaching staff likes him so much. But let me just understand like your, your point of view, because you you heard us talk on the podcast before the Nuggets game. Um, I think we released it after the Nuggets game, but we had recorded that before that game. And just 
talked about maybe it would be best for this team to go into the lottery once more. And there's a lot of fans on Twitter that feel that same way, but you said you've always been pushing for the playoffs. So what is your point of view in terms of why you want a playoff run, even if it's just a play-in type of thing, versus getting into the lottery a top five to eight pick? So that's a great question. And I think for me, because I'm such a competitive person myself, I never want to see a team tank. And I knew that we had talent across the board with Buddy and Miles on a contract year. So, of course, Miles is going to ball out. And just I knew Benedict Matherin was going to be good, but I didn't expect this much from him. And I also expected a lot from Aaron Neesmith. And I just feel like the team was built for a gritty playoff run, even before we knew what Nembhard was. Yeah, that and that's fair. I mean, I felt like this team was going to make a trade and they were going to trade some of their veterans, like you said, Buddy and Miles, and kind of figure out where they're going. Everybody knows that that's where I've been at this whole time. So when we made our regular season predictions, that was assuming those guys would be dealt before the season probably or towards the beginning. So that's why I didn't think they'd win that many games. But here they are, you know, they're, they're hanging on for dear life in that play on spot, but uh, play in spot, excuse me. But just just tell me maybe who has been the most disappointing player to you this season. Go a little negative here. Okay. I'm usually a positive person. But for me, I think the most disappointing has been Chris Duarte. Um, I honestly have stopped being a believer in him. I know it's early. I've seen stretches where he looks like the player he did last year. But just like you and Fachi talked about, he's not built for this roster. Like he was built for the slow paced, melodic with Sabonis and Brogdon. And he was supposed to be that third guy. But he's not somebody who you really want as your shooting guard, especially when you have Benedict Matherin on the bench. And I just don't think he fits. And I don't think he really knows what his role is. So he's been disappointing to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to argue with that when I think that the injury, like everybody thought, maybe he's going to come back. He had, a, he had a slow start, had that big game against the Nets, and then he had the horrific injury against the Miami Heat. So, yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment, obviously, seeing him go down for so long. And then it looks like he's slowly starting to break out of that slump, and I think he's maybe getting his feet wet again, trying to figure out what he's supposed to do with this team. I would say the only player I think that probably falls – in the same category for at least, you know, being up there for most disappointing has got to be Jalen Smith. This is a guy that was starting with this team and then fell to the backup center. And and then honestly, if you go back and watch a Bulls game, split minutes with Isaiah Jackson and then Terry Taylor kind of got the second half minutes as that secondary big. So you just kind of have to wonder, like they obviously invested in Jalen Smith. They didn't invest a lot of money, but they invested playing time. And now he's kind of lost his spot in the rotation a little bit. He's just kind of regressed as a player, I feel like, in terms of his role. So what are your thoughts on Jalen Smith? So I have been saying this also all over Twitter this whole season. I feel like we're still not giving Jalen Smith enough credit for what he was able to do. Because let's be honest, we expected him to be our fourth option, maybe our third scoring option. But then when you get Benedict Matherin scoring 17 a game and you get everybody else chipping in, scoring 10, 15, 
it's hard for somebody like Jalen Smith to really find shots. And I feel like when he gets a lot of shots, despite the three-point shooting, it's been disappointing. But I feel like he's still effective when he gets a lot of shots. Like we've seen games where he's had 23. We had a, a game where he had like 18 in one quarter. Like he showed flashes all year. I just don't think he's getting consistent touches. And as a young player, that's going to take confidence away. And he's not going to really be as invested or engaged as you would want him to be. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, too, is like he's more of a five than he is a four. Um, a lot of people have had different uh, opinions on that. I know Bob Kravitz thought he was more of a power four than a five when we had him on in the offseason. And, you know, there's some people that thought maybe he could play the four. Um, he played it OK, but I think it's just he's more of a five natural fit as a five. And you're right. I think that they kind of pigeonholed him with that starting lineup into the Miles Turner role when Miles Turner was playing alongside Sabonis. He was kind of that afterthought, basically just be a stretch big, and that was that. Now, I do think that Jalen Smith is a still a solid rebounder and a good rim protector as well. Now, he's not Miles Turner-level rim protection, but he's still a pretty solid rim protector. So I'll be interested to see what they do with him moving forward because Isaiah Jackson's a guy that they're really interested in as well. But um, I'm going to open the floor for you. Number one, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me, maybe from something I've said on the pod? Or number two, do you have like a hot take you want to share? All right. I'll do a question. And I don't have any hot takes because I've been sticking with the same playoff push all year. But okay. <laughs> my question for you, Alex, is if you are all in, like you've said, with OG Ananobi, and you want them to make a move for that wing, how much is too much to give up? Yeah, so I think Fachi's actually been more all in with OG than I have been. I, uh, That's right. I, yep. Yeah, I like OG and Anobi, and I've been getting a lot of questions about OG and Anobi on my social media, uh, whether it's in like comments or just messages. And it's like, you got to remember the biggest thing here is OG is a free agent at the end of 2024. So whatever you trade to get him, you're going to have to trade a lot. Right now, it is a seller's market. You're going to, you know, pay an arm and a leg to get him here. Now, I like the idea of him being here, but at the same time, he's got a promise that he's going to resign because if you don't get that that resign done, then you just maybe traded away a lot of really valuable assets for a guy to leave you after one year. You know, this is not the Kawhi Leonard type of trade that the Raptors did to win a championship. No, this is OG Ananobi. This is a guy that's had injury problems throughout his career. He's never been like a prominent scorer. He's had moments where he's looked really good as a scorer. He's a good defender. I think he's probably still a B-level player. I don't see OG Ananobi as a superstar or an all-star level player right now. So the asking price for what they're going to want from him is, to my, in my opinion, going to be more than the Pacers should give up. Now, if for some reason the Pacers could offer a very fair deal, in my opinion, where they're not giving up as much, and the Raptors are like, okay, this is pretty fair, like kind of similar to what we saw with Halliburton and Sabonis, like that type of a move, right? I think I would be more intrigued to do it, but I just don't I just don't feel like it's a good match for us with a trade partner because of what Toronto has done so far in their NBA career. Masai Ujiri is a terrific GM and I think he's made some great moves and this does not seem like a move that he would make with the Pacers, you know, because their asking price, unfortunately, when I've talked to people that cover the league, they're saying, Well, if you don't throw Benedict Matherin in this, you're not getting OG. And I'm like, Well, that's not gonna happen. So who who else do you have? I mean, really, if you look at this roster, we like players on it, but are they really like 
worth OG and OB? Probably not. And then I'm just not a fan of giving away my picks for that type of a player yet. That's fair. And I actually agree with you. That's kind of why I was wondering because yeah. I forgot that it was Fachi who was more all aboard the <laughs> LG and an OB train, but I don't know. Do I have time for one more that I could ask you? Or yeah, you ask me another one. Ask me another okay. one. Um, so what is your number one ideal target for this team right now? Ideal Player. target. Well, my ideal target is to lose as many games as possible and get the best draft pick possible. That's my ideal target because I think this draft class is loaded. If they can get a top five pick in this year's draft class, I'll be happy with whoever they take. I mean, the top five is so loaded, in, in my opinion. So, you know, you got a Min Thompson, you got Cam Whitmore, even a Men's brother, which I don't think he's top five, is a Sir Thompson. He's going to be really good. Uh, Jairus Walker from Houston, I really like him as a player, and I don't think he's a top five pick, but he's in that top eight range. And Brandon Miller, of course, is another guy. It's like any of those guys I would be thrilled with. Now, if you're looking at a player to trade for, I mean, OG is a is a typical player that you would like, like that type of player. I think Jonathan Kaminga is somebody that I would look at. And if you remember last year, I was really big on Shaden Sharp. Yes. The Blazers, in my opinion, have come out, so they're trying to win now with Damian Lillard. Are the Blazers stupid enough? Now, I don't think they are, but they could be stupid enough like the Kings were to give a Paliburton. Maybe you call the Blazers and try to get Shaden Sharp in a package to take on some of their bad contracts, like a Nurkic's contract. I think he's got four years left. And maybe you take on some bad salary, but you have to take Sharp as that sweetener and you give them like valuable players that you have, like a Turner, maybe if they'd rather upgrade at center with Miles and throw in Chris Duarte, who's a lottery pick last year. And then maybe, maybe throw in somebody else if you really feel like it or a pick or two. So I just, I feel like, Maybe taking a risk on somebody like that can make sense, but at the same time, don't know if Portland does that. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I just I want to find a guy that's not on an expiring deal that could make some sense at that three or the four. And if you're if you're looking like one guy that I've really been talking about a lot on the on the horn, it's not PJ Washington, but Jalen McDaniels, I think, you know. A low buy. He's somebody that I'd be interested in just to kind of see what he could do. But right now, I just don't really know who's out there that could be really had that's uh, uh, in that upper echelon. Now, free agency wise, is a guy that I talked about a little bit, Cameron Johnson from Phoenix, restricted free agent. I think someone like that could be interesting. Cam Johnson, that's interesting. I do agree with Jalen McDaniels. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I was also big on Shaden <laughs> Sharp, so I understand. Yeah, that mindset. yeah. I cooled off a little bit. You guys know that. But I just think the best way to really approach this is through the draft. Um, you know, maybe maybe for some reason if the Hawks blow their thing up, you go after DeAndre Hunter. He could be somebody. I've, obviously, John Collins is a name everybody throws out there. I, I don't dislike John Collins. I think he could actually be utilized better here. Just not in love with John Collins. He's a, he's a light guy, not a love guy. So that's it for, me, for, uh, for my answers there. You have any more questions before we wrap it up? That's all set. Thank you. Yeah, man. So go ahead and tell the people where they can find you at on social media and, uh, you know, let, let them know anything that you have that you'd like to share. Okay. So on Twitter, I am Michael21201 underscore. Uh, my Instagram is the same thing, Michael21201 underscore. Um, those are the main social media apps that I use. Um, and that's pretty much it. I dabble with podcasting. So I have a podcast on Spotify, the Mikey O show, but it's more general where I just talk about my life. So that's not really a plug, just something okay. that I like to do. No, that's a plug, man. Check out the Mikey O show. I'm excited. I'm going to check that out. I'll give you some feedback on it. You know, you're listening to our show. I, I owe you the, 
respect to go give your show a shot. But um, you know how we close this thing out here with Fachi giving me a let's go pacer. So since he's not here today, we're going to leave it up to you. So I'm going to ask you, Mikey O, if you're hoping the Pacers make a deep playoff run this year, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We going to need a mop. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.